everyone. Good to have you here. So we, uh, we're going to start with prayer. Yeah. Father, thank you for your grace, your goodness. Lord, thank you for your uh, your invitation that we can come before you uh, uh, just by turning our heart and our attention toward you. Jesus, that you're, you promise that when we gather together in your name that you're here present with us. That we enter into your courts with thanksgiving and into your presence with praise. Through your gates with praise. So, Father, we just bless this time. Uh, help me communicate what you've put on my heart. Uh, help each each person receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to start out with a game. So, I need four volunteers. Nicole, Dan, Lacey. Okay, and uh, uh, Nicole's husband. Anthony, <laughs> come on up here. All right, line up here. Nicole, you'll be over here. You're going to be this person. Okay, this way, this way. All right. Okay, actually, why don't you go down to the end? Okay. No problem. Read your instructions. Keep them silent. All right. <clears throat> and then this is your treasure trove of items. So you, did you read your instructions? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, let's just see what happens.
Let's see your instructions. Based on how they respond. So who do you think should get more? Based on the reactions, who should get the next? Huh? Why? How much should I give Lacey? Nothing. How much should I give Dan? What, do you think I should take some of that back? We're going to take from him who has. Yeah. And give Anthony all of it. All right, there you go. Thank you. Give them all a big hand. (laughs) I need the papers back. You can have the money. I need the papers back. You can have the money. I'm not an Indian giver. The paper. When you said the paper, I thought that was slang for the money. Find it and give it to me later. All right. Well, that skit (coughs) somewhat illustrated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, We all wanted to give Anthony more wine because he was grateful, all right? And so there's a direct connection between uh, Nicole was, was being motivated out of mercy. So she actually gave more to the person who demonstrated more need. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, but thankfulness, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. How many of you know that? You all ready? Uh, uh, and uh, thankfulness is a time that we get together. We, have, we enjoy great food. I know Kathy's getting ready to cook an amazing meal, which she does every year. And there's so much in Scripture that teach, uh, teaches on thankfulness and thanksgiving I mean, literally, the biggest uh, difficulty I had was was picking out a scripture or a series of scriptures to refer to over the series. I'm gonna I'm gonna take four weeks to talk about Thanksgiving, and um, really, I'm gonna uh, address both aspects of thanks and giving. <clears throat> um, and there's a direct connection between being grateful. And being generous. Why don't we just stick with the, the slideshow that I have so it helps me. Um, thanks. <clears throat> uh, there's a direct connection between being grateful and being generous. And, and God wants everyone, every one of us, uh, to be full of thanksgiving. He wants everyone to be faithful to give as well. Right? We want to be full of thanksgiving and we want to be uh, 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 faithful to give. And, and really it's by God's design. Right? Giving releases a blessing and produces more thanks. All right? When you give, it releases a blessing and it produces more thanks, thanksgiving. And, and when we're thankful, it causes a blessing and it causes the heavens to open up and it enables us or positions us to receive even more, which enables us to give more. All right? So you see there's a benevolent cycle. That one uh, response encourages uh, the, the other, and it, and it feeds one another. <clears throat> so I'm going to start uh, with a scripture that's probably not um, the first that you'd come to mind. It's kind of an obscure scripture, and it's from Jeremiah, chapter 30, uh, verse 18 through 22. And just a little context, Jeremiah is, is actually called the weeping prophet. 
he was a prophet during a time when the nation of Israel was going through uh, some severe difficulty, uh, and um, they had they had fallen far short of God's standard for the nation. And in fact, when this portion of um, Jeremiah's book was written, uh, when he was ministering this, uh, uh, many uh, of the Hebrew people had already been taken captive. Jerusalem had yet to fall. Uh, it was still uh, uh, intact, but it was about to fall. In other words, uh, the, the Babylonians were going to come and conquer Jerusalem. <clears throat> and if you've ever, how many have read Jeremiah? Okay, the rest of you, go home and read your Bible. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Jeremiah is a powerful book. It's some, somewhat hard to understand. And frankly, it's generally depressing. <laughs> because much of it is filled with, with warnings and uh, uh, rebukes for their, their misbehavior. Uh, and there's consequences. And the consequences are uh, very clear that, that Israel and all of the people are taken into captivity. But in the middle of all of that, right in the middle of of these these prophecies speaking about the downfall of God's people and how they're going to suffer punishment and severe uh, um, uh, uh, consequences to their actions, there's some promises. And this is the promise I want to focus on. Jeremiah 30, 18 through 22. I'm going to read it in two different translations in the uh, ESV first. It says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will store I will restore the fount I'm sorry. Reboot. There we go. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob, and have compassion on his dwellings. The city shall be rebuilt on its mound, and the palace shall stand where it used to be. Out of them shall come songs of thanksgiving and the voices of those who celebrate. I will multiply them, and they shall not be few. I will make them honored, and they shall not be small. Their children shall be as they were of old, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish those who oppress them. Their prince shall be one of themselves. Their ruler shall come out of their midst. I will make him draw near. He shall, now, he shall approach me for... Who would dare of himself to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Let me read this out of the message, which is a little uh, more contemporary phrasing. But kind of brings it down home and kind of brings the feelings out of it. Uh, It says, again, God's message. I'll turn things around for Jacob. I'll compassionately come in and rebuild home. The town will be rebuilt on its old foundations, and the mansions will be splendid again. I love this line. Thanksgiving will pour out of the windows. Laughter will spill through the doors. Can you just picture that? Thanksgiving will pour out of the windows, and laughter will spill through the doors. Things will get better and better. Depression days are over. They'll thrive. They'll flourish. The days of contempt will be over. They'll look forward to having children again, to being a community in which I take pride. I'll punish anyone who hurts them. And their prince will come from their own ranks. One of their own people shall be their leader. Their ruler will come from their own ranks. I'll grant him free and easy access to me. Would anyone dare do that on his own? To enter my presence uninvited? 
This is God's decree. And that's it. You will be my very own people. And I'll be your very own God. This is a promise that God gives. And that, that statement that uh, you will be my people and I will be your God is repeated many times throughout Scripture. It's repeated in the New Testament as the, that, that's what we've come into uh, as believers in Christ. We've come into a place of restored relationship. But this the whole of Jeremiah is filled with rebukes and warnings and, and, and uh, threats, if you will. But this portion here, is, it's, not, it's not even a command, is it? We're not told to do anything in the Scripture. It's completely a promise. God promised to His people that He was going to do this. And this description, what I just read, uh, with thanksgiving pouring out of the windows and, and laughter spilling through the doors, is actually a picture, it's a description of the fulfillment of a very commonly quoted Scripture. You'll, you'll recognize it when I read it. Um, it's uh, the commonly quoted scripture, Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many have quoted that? Oh yeah, we want to cling to that. What does that look like? Well, what it looks like is the verse that I read, which was from the next chapter. All right, this is the hope of uh, that God has for His kids. This is the future and the hope. It's a future of blessing, of restoration, of, of God coming and, and restoring. And, and what I love about this is that the only thing that the recipients, the people who receive uh, the children, God's children need to re- do is to be thankful and to celebrate. That's all they're called to do, right? Thanksgiving will pour out of the windows. Laughter will spill through the doors. God didn't require them to do anything in a sense. He was going to bring consequences to their, their behavior and it was going to lead to captivity. But in, before they are taken up into captivity, He promises them that He will come compassionately and He will restore. And it gives them something to look forward to. Right? It gives them a promise. And even uh, it says, Jeremiah says, when you go to the land of Babylon, basically settle in. You're going to be there for 70 years. All right? Get married, have kids, pray for that city, pray for the peace of that city. Uh, in other words, prosper where you're at. Right? But there's a promise that you're going to return. And uh, God is going to... So all the people are expected to do is respond with thanksgiving and to celebrate. <clears throat> but look at all, everything that God did. Right? He compassionately comes. He turns things around. He frees them from captivity. He rebuilds their homes and towns. You know, we just saw on TV what happened with the Hurricane Sandy, right? And, and some of us, we went to Japan and we saw what happened with the tsunami and you all saw it on television. And so, you know, what happened in, in Jerusalem was similar, but it didn't, wasn't caused by, uh, you know, a storm. It was caused by uh, the Babylonian army and they came and literally destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They leveled it, Okay. And, and God's promise, <clears throat> so, so we can have a, a mental image of what it looks like when there's devastation in the natural. And then the need for someone to come in and rebuild. And God's promise is that He's the one that's going to come and rebuild. He's going to restore their fortunes. He's going to uh, make things get better and better. 
He's going to remove depression. How many would like depression completely removed? Maybe, maybe you don't struggle with it, but you know somebody that struggles with it. All right? God's the one. He promises that He's the one that, that does that. He's going to remove contempt. So if anyone has contempt on their life, they feel like there's something they've done, that they're, they're living under contempt. God's the one that promises to come and remove that. <clears throat> um, uh, to raise up a prince. Uh, the fulfillment of that, obviously, is when Jesus came. And that's a promise, though, that out of their own, understand that they were taken captive. They were being ruled by a foreign, ungodly uh, um, government, the Babylonians. But God promised that in the future they would have someone from their own uh, raised up to, raise, uh, to lead them and to actually bring them into God's presence. And that's fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, God fulfilled this promise literally to the people of Israel. Seventy years after they went into captivity, they did return from Babylon and they rebuilt the temple and they rebuilt Jerusalem. <clears throat> and so God literally fulfilled it. But there's a, there's a bigger promise here and there's a promise that applies to each one of us and that we are God's spiritual people through faith in Jesus Christ. Right, so this promise wasn't just the ancient Israelites. Right, remember, the Bible is not just a history book about what God used to do. It's a textbook about what God does. Right, and so if you are one of God's people, this promise is for you as much as it was for them. It's to each and every person who comes out of spiritual captivity through relationship and through the freedom that comes through faith with Jesus Christ. All right? <clears throat> um, You know, Christ is that ruler appointed of God. We read in the passage, God even says, who would dare come uh, to me uninvited? But Jesus is the one that was appointed. He was the one that was raised up to bring not only Himself, but everyone who follows Him into the presence of of the Lord God Almighty. Alright? So He's our Prince. And then it's the ending promise of it is that you shall be My people and I shall be your God. And so, not only is there a promise of fulfillment of all things, and the response, what's the response that the people have? Do you feel thankful today? Are you cele- is, this how, is this how Americans celebrate? Are you celebratory this morning? Are you happy? You know, I, th- I actually think that our culture lacks an understanding of how to celebrate. Because uh-huh. I've been in other cultures when they start celebrating, it gets like crazy. Like they're not afraid to express their emotions. Right? But, you know, we, we get together in a group and, and we say it's time to celebrate. And, and we just don't know how to do that. You know, if we're in a sports stadium and our team is winning then there's that one little opportunity if you happen to be a sports fan and you have any idea of what's going on. <laughs> then you can, you can jump around a little bit and wave your hand. You might even paint your face, right? Okay. But outside of that contact, you know, when there's a new baby, you can be happy. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, they put signs there. Well, how do we celebrate? Listen, we need to learn how to celebrate because we want to respond 
to what God's given us. This was fulfilled in the natural, but what God's, God's done all of this and more for each one of you spiritually. He's delivered you from captivity. All right? He's restored your fortunes. He's removed your contempt. All right? He came to take away all depression. All right? He came to make things get better and better and better. Wherever you are, God wants you to get better. All right? He's the one who comes to make your life better. Do you understand it? He's good. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to have a hope. You know, that's not just a, a quote to make you feel better as though maybe someday it'll get better. Don't worry. It's gonna, it can't get much worse. You know? <clears throat> I like the movie, what was it? When the, when the guy comes... Oh, shoot, I can't remember the name of the movie. When he comes in, this is as good as it gets. Isn't it? It's, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> Who was the actor? Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he walks in, it was a... It was a mental, it was a, 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 they were all d- depressed, basically. It was a group therapy session, they all depressed. He just said, man, this is as good as it gets. And he walks out. That's not God's message. All right? God is like, man, I, what I have in store for you, you can't even imagine. How are you going to respond? Are you going to respond like number one, number two, or number three? All right? Here's go. Okay, God's got, yeah, God's got a lot of promises. Or, or you're going to be complaining. Well, yeah, you keep saying that. Show, show me the money. Right? Or you're going to be grateful. Right? And, and, the, and a grateful heart uh, provokes a response. Doesn't it? When someone's grateful, you want to give them more. Not just because they're worth it, but because they have the right attitude. There's something in you that wants to reward that. All right? <clears throat> Let's t- jump to the New Testament. Hebrews 13, verse 14. It says, um, this is really a fulfillment. This is a New Testament phrase about thanksgiving. Pretty commonly, uh, um, pretty common verse often quoted. Hebrews 13, 14. We'll read it in the New King James. It says, for here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Right? Certainly, that's part of, part of worship. And that defines, as, as, as Graham and Jill shared over the last couple of weeks, you know, what is worship in the New Testament? One of the main parts is singing the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we sing songs of thanksgiving. We want that to be coming out of our mouths. Uh, because it's because it's in our heart, and it goes on. It says, "But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased." I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. It says, "For this world is not our permanent home; we are looking forward to a home yet to come." Therefore, therefore, okay. So, based on this expectation of our future hope. Right? We should behave this way. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. So when do you praise God? Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 10? When? 
all the time, continually praising God, continually praising God. Every word that comes out of your mouth, even if you're talking to someone else, should in some way reflect uh, adoration or respect or honor to God. Because even when you're talking to someone else, it should be influenced by your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're continually offering and then also just continually praising Him. But it goes on. It says, um, uh, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. That's good, isn't it? And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices to please God. Well, it's interesting. We're real familiar with the first part of this verse, but sometimes we overlook the second. Uh, First of all, the writer turns our attention from this world to the next. All right? He starts off with, this is not our permanent home. Listen, you can't base all of your decisions on what things are looking like now. All right? Your behavior is to be determined because of where you're going. That's the message of this verse. Because we're looking forward to the fulfillment of the promise in heaven, we should behave this way. What way? Continually in praise and, and giving and doing good and sharing. All right? That's the sacrifice. Now's the time. Ultimate fulfillment will come in the re- resurrection. But now's the time for us to align ourselves in right relationship with God. Okay? Just think of it. Just like if you were uh, back in the time of Israel and they were going off into captivity, how are you going to behave? Are you going to behave during those seven years as though one confident that God was going to fulfill His promise? Or are you going to be complaining? Are you going to reject God? Are you going to leave Him behind? All right? Seventy years, yeah, they had to win. The whole generation had to die. wasn't the first time God did that. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> and then um, uh, so that's the gratitude part. The gratitude is is giving thanks, expressing from our hearts genuine thanksgiving, and it needs to be the condition of our heart that we are grateful for what God has done. But the generosity part. Is the second part of the sacrifice. There's really two sacrifices in this verse. There's a sacrifice of the fruit of our lips, and then there's a sacrifice of doing good and sharing. And I want to talk a little bit about that. It says that, um, uh, and this is, this is the generosity part. Um, don't forget to do good and share. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Uh, the word share is actually the word koinonia. If you've been around church long, you should be familiar with that. Uh, koinonia, whoop, there you go, go back, go back, boom, I should have a thing up here, but I can just turn it, <clears throat> um, actually I'm going to get one of those button things, it means koinonia, how many have heard that word before, it's most often translated what, fellowship, very good, uh, and it, uh, I put it up there, okay, uh, <laughs> it's being being part of a congregation, my notes got turned upside down somehow. All right? Fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation, intercourses, interacting with one another. There's three basic ideas here. It's participation. All right? It's the community that we share in. It's, it's something that you have, a, a, the, the share which one has in anything. All right? It's your part of being a part of the community. You know, you, 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 you show up and it means something. 
you don't show up and it's lacking something. It's being in community. It's participating. Some people participate in church. Some people don't. All right? You just, you just, they sit down and they leave. Same thing. Some people participate in school. Some people don't. Right? You're a teacher. You got the kids who always answer the question. You got the kids who, they're checked out. Some people participate in life. And some people don't. Right? We want to be the ones that participate. Koinonia is about participating. It's not just about fellowship, like having the coffee and donuts. That's part of it. But it's about being together. It's about intimacy, which is communion. All right? And knowing one another. I like the word friendship. Okay? We're, we're, we're in unity together. Communion. All right? That takes it a little deeper. It's intimacy. It's getting to know one another. It's, it isn't good enough for a, a church just to be an attender. And you're welcome to come and attend until you get to know us better. But eventually, God wants you to be intimate with those in the congregation. He wants friendships to develop. Lifelong friendships can develop. I know I've, had, I've experienced this in my life, that I have friendships merely because we, have, we share uh, faith and we, we, we've gone to church and we've worked together in a faith community. And the third part of it is a contribution. A gift jointly contributed a collection as exhibiting the embodiment and proof of fellowship. I took this out of a dictionary, folks. This is just what the word means. All right? And it literally means a contribution. What kind of contribution? Money. What does that money represent? It represents, it's the embodiment and proof of fellowship. It's the embodiment and proof of fellowship. So, Pastor, are you saying that if I don't give money, I'm not really fulfilling, I'm not really fulfilling fellowship? I'm not saying that. The Bible is. Because that's what fellowship means. It doesn't mean just hanging to, around together in the same room. It doesn't mean just coming and, and, and to the services. It actually means participating. Growing in intimacy and in relationship and contributing financially, all right, to the work. Amen? <laughs> I don't preach about that. You know, this year is a year that I'm preaching about things I never preach about. I've never preached about hell. I preached about hell earlier this year. Uh, I never preached about the end times. I preached about the end times kind of earlier this year. I hardly ever preach about money. I don't even like preaching about money, but God's making me do it. <laughs> so, you know, set through this series. We'll get through it together, okay? <clears throat> um, you know, it's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice to be in fellowship. You have to understand that every time the Bible talks about koinonia, it's talking about all three of these things. It's talking about being participatory. It's talking about developing intimacy. And it's talking about you giving your n- natural resources to the good of the whole. All right? <clears throat> And it does cost. Every one of those things costs. It costs emotionally to be uh, to participate and to, to grow in intimacy and friendship. There's an emotional cost to it. There's a physical cost. You actually have to get out of your house and drive here. I know it's difficult for some of us, especially the older we get. <laughs> right? Time takes time. People say they don't have time. 
Everybody has the same amount of time. It's what you choose to use with your time. How are you going to manage your time? Status. Money. It costs all of these things. And listen, this verse is not talking about random acts of kindness. How many have heard that phrase before? Random acts of kindness. I don't know who came up with that, but I don't like it. I like purposeful acts of kindness. Intentional acts of kindness. I mean, I do, I'm not take, coming against the idea of just being generally kind. Uh, but that's actually what we're called to do on purpose. When I am kind to others, it's to reflect the nature and person of Jesus Christ. Because I, I don't want them just to be happy for a minute when I do something nice to them. I want their life to be changed so that they're permanently in a place of happiness because they're in relationship with the Heavenly Father. All right? And so this, this type of sharing and this type of good works is directly connected to koinonia, directly connected to being part of this fellowship. So we're not talking, this verse is not talking about just, just doing good in general and helping out the poor. This is talking about koinonia. This is talking about doing good and giving to the body. Because that's what koinonia is. It's the fellowship. Does that make sense? Yes. How I'm connecting this? <clears throat> all right. So it's about being in. It's about uh, doing all of these things. Participation, intimacy, and contribution in the spiritual family that you're called to be a part of. Ephesians chapter 4.16, the next verse. Uh, Paul mentions the same idea. When he says, from whom, he's talking about the body, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Listen, it's all about love. It's all motivated by the kingdom purposes. But each and every one of you needs to do your share. You need to contribute your part. Because if you lack in contributing your part, any one of those three things that we need, participation, intimacy, or giving, that means that the church is going to lack something that we're supposed to have. And that means that as a church, we can't do what God's called us to do in the full measure that He's called us to do. Because you're withholding your part. Does that make sense? Each and every one of you is absolutely essential. So gratitude, this is the point I really wanted to make in the message. I don't know how well I've done it. Gratitude is the soil. It's the heart condition out of which all of the sharing and giving should arise. All right? It positions us to express thanksgiving and to receive from God and others. Just like the, the little game that we did, a heart of gratitude positions you to receive more. That needs to be inside. You can't do it just because you have to. All right. You need your heart needs to be changed so it's it's flowing out of a heart of gratitude. And then generosity, actually the act of giving actually produces gratitude from others. When you give, they're grateful. But listen, there's a little secret here. When you give, you find yourself more grateful. It releases a spiritual download where you begin to realize you're just managing God's resources. You know, and it's a delight to give. Because when you give, you sense blessing from God. And then that, that creates a gratitude that I'm so glad I have the ability to give. 
and then you give and that person receives and they're blessed and so they're grateful. And that's that benevolent cycle that I was talking about. Um, <clears throat> and that we want to get going. The next couple of weeks I'm going to talk, I'm going to zero in and talk about the biblical pattern for giving more uh, directly. All right, I'm going to talk about tithing, talk about how you can tithe, and talk about some of the um, uh, uh, reasons people uh, think they can't tithe and some of the objections to it. Uh, so I'm going to get into some of the detail um, about that. But I want to I want to share some facts with you out of love. All right, are you ready to see, receive this out of love? Okay, don't don't look at your neighbor. Twenty <clears throat> percent of the regular uh, we, we we really carefully. Um, I don't look at individual people's giving records. I can. I know how to do it, but I never do it because I don't like to do it. <laughs> I don't need to do it. You know, rarely do I ever pull up someone's giving record. It just I just don't look at it. Um, but I had one of the administrators go through and, and crunch the numbers. And 20% of the people that attend here, these are the people that are on record as being regular attenders that have come uh, for quite a while and are actively involved in some way, <clears throat> give nothing. Year to date, they've given zero. All right? Another 20% have given basically nothing. Um, an average of one, actually $1.75 a week. $1.75. So what's that buy you? A pop. They come every week. They enjoy the building. You know, the, the utility company doesn't give their, us the energy for free. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. stuff the furnace broke is broken every week. We've had the guy out three times the last three weeks to get it working. <clears throat> So 40% of the congregation year-to-date this year has given either nothing or next to nothing. And I'm telling you this because I love you. That means that for 40%, you are not receiving the blessing that God wants to give you in your life. You're withholding. And you're withholding uh, the church from fulfilling its real call. And that's really what I'm interested. You know, we do have to ask the question, is that fair? Because we, we have a lot of people that give faithfully, and we have a lot of people that give far beyond the biblical minimum of 10%. There's some people that if you knew what they give, you would, you would call them crazy. All right? But my question is, you know, is that genuine koinonia? And I, I actually grieve for those of you that don't give anything. Because you're not experiencing biblical koinonia. You're kind of just on the outside. You're kind of getting a taste of it. You know, you kind of smell it. You're smelling the dinner, but you're not allowed to eat it. Because you're not fully participating. Right? Would a business work if 40% of the customers came and didn't pay anything? How long would a business last? And, and, the, and the challenge is, the church, I, I want to do so much more. That's, that's really what I want you to leave today with. Is what more could we accomplish if each person gave their share? Right? How much more blessing could be released in your life, but also in the church's life? What could we accomplish if we were at, not running at 60%, but we were running at 100%? 
right? Think of a, a car, a six-cylinder car. What's 60% of that? A 10-cylinder car. If only... <laughs> You know, if you're not firing on all cylinders, that car's not going to go very far. It's not going to have much power. That's the church. And you go, oh, you're just talking about money. Absolutely, I'm talking about money. You know why? Because money equals your time and energy. All right? It's your life. And I'm asking you to invest that into God's kingdom so that we cannot be hindered at fulfilling the call that God's called all of us to do. So I'm going to talk about what that means and how you can do that over the course of the next couple of weeks. But in the midst of that, I I want to emphasize that it must always come out of a heart of gratitude. All right? And not obligation. God loves cheerful givers. We don't give out of obligation. Bill's got some announcements. Welcome them up. Ready for the segue? Thank you. Right? I know, it was good. Professional. It took me all morning to figure that one out. So uh, welcome once again to New Day. Good to see you all. I do have some announcements for you. And the first one is, if you're a guest today or have been recently and we have not given you a gift yet, we would really like to. All you have to do to receive your gift today is uh, take the little connection card off your bulletin and take it right to the connection counter in the center.